This is VLX number 146, the parable of the talents. We are in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. VLX stands for Video Lexia Divina, the Patristic Bible Study, and Ignatian Prayer Series Online. God give you his peace in nomine Patris Fidi, Spiritu Santi, Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris Fidi, et Spiritu Santi, Amen. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Now we're going to be getting heavy into the Ignatian way, the imaginative way of prayer in the Passion, as we approach the Passion, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to hopefully be leading you in the Ignatian way a lot more than what we are right now. But again, today we're going to be heavy on the church fathers because a lot of the parables tie to what is doctrinal and what is moral in our lives. But here's the thing. You can still bring this to the imaginative way. And if you don't know how to do either way, whether we're talking the more dry Lexio Divina way or the way of St. Teresa of Avila and St. Ignatius of Loyola, you can go back and hear the first few VLXs. It's especially easy on YouTube because if you pull up my channel and then go to Playlists, you can listen to any of my playlists all the way from front to back. So you could listen to VLX 1 and then 2 and then 3 and 4. So you can listen all the way through on the VLXs. And so the first few, VLX 1 and VLX 2, those teach you how to do these different ways of prayer. Now it should be noted though that the Ignatian way of prayer is not just the emotions and the five senses. Really you can bring anything of your aspect, any aspect of your life ties into this. Or maybe a better way to put it is, when you enter into the prayer of St. Ignatius, you should be considering your life in reference to everything that we're studying in Scripture, even if you're not using the five senses. 
So for example, today, what we're going to hear from Father Lapide in a minute is the man who went away for a long time and entrusted talents to people, that is Jesus. And so what he does is he gives the kingdom to each one of us. And we're going to see that some of us make excuses. Well, I wasn't given as much as St. Vincent Ferrer. I wasn't given as much as St. Therese. Well, we're going to be responsible for that. And so one of the ways I'd encourage you to do, whether it's the Lexio Divina method or the Ignatian method of prayer today, is look at the gifts that God has given you today. Really consider the talents that he has given you and, and how are you using those. Our Lady of Sorrows is who Father Ripperger tells us to ask to see what's really missing in our life. And I wrote a blog page, a blog post, and it's sort of on the back page of my uh, my blog called Life Updates. It's a back page that not a lot of people look at, but in there I showed that when I prayed to Our Lady of Sorrows, what is the virtue missing in my life? I got Thanksgiving, and starting to be more thankful for my life really unlocked a lot of different things. And it started to eradicate self-pity. I'm going to write another blog post called St. Dismas, the Saint Against Saint against Self-Pity, because if you look at Jesus on the cross, you're going to see two thieves, both in excruciating pain, both had probably been dealt some really bad cards in their life, and yet one saves his soul by God's grace by confessing Christ as King and God and Savior, and then the other blasphemes God. And so that's what self-pity can lead us to. And so you can probably see how this ties into the talents today, that when you are full of thanksgiving, whether you have two talents or five talents or ten talents in life, whether you have few gifts or a lot of gifts, you're still going to be responsible for not only using those, but as we're going to see, even taking risks. And I think that many of us traditional Catholics, again, I always include myself in that category, when we look around at all the dangers in our society on our salvation, we can kind of want to pull up the drawbridge. But we're going to see one of the invitations today is to take risks. That doesn't mean take risks and putting yourselves into situations of near occasion of sin, but it does mean we are to take risks in using our talents. God wants us to really stick our necks out there with the talents that we have. And Thanksgiving helped me to see that I've been given talents and I can't just pull up the drawbridge and say, well, God is a harsh and exacting master. I didn't want to mess up, so I didn't use any of my gifts. In fact, I'm going to tie this into my own 30-day Ignatian retreat that I took about 20 years ago and really show you what happened in my life with that whole thing. But as I said, we're going to be a little bit heavy on Father Lapi today. So let's look at uh, verse 14, for a man going into a far country. Father Lapide says, now the man here spoken of is Christ. For Christ, when a long journey, when he ascended into heaven, being about to be absent a long time from earth in his church. So say Origen and St. Jerome and St. Bede. Notice any time that we include Origen, you got to remember, he said some really bad things, but he also said some really good things. So any time I quote Origen there, it's hopefully backed up by other saints and doctors of the church like St. Jerome. But even Father Lapide, who is very terrified of heresy, as any of us should be, he even can point to some of the good things that Origen said. But there's a reason there's not ST in front of his name, and it's not just the fact he took a knife to himself. He also got some other things wrong. But again, he got some things right, and so I'm going to hopefully be able to quote you like I just did with other saints. So notice right there, the man who goes on a far journey is Christ. And what does he do? He leaves the apostles, but all disciples, certain talents. And that's that includes you and me, that he has left certain talents. And we're going to really see that pusillanimity and excessive fear is enough to get condemned. I don't want to lead to more fear for people who are already af afraid right there in saying that. But 
we're going to see God expects us to take some risks with our talent, not with our souls, not by putting ourselves in your occasion of sin. We are going to see God expects us to take some risks with the talents he gave. Father Labide says, By talents, understand all the gifts of God, without which we can do nothing. These gifts are, I say, first, of grace, both making grateful, such as faith, hope, charity, virginity, and all the other virtues, as well as those of grace given gratis. So we talked about in my um, RCT recently, the uh, gratuitous graces, such as power of working miracles, the apostolate, the priesthood, the gift of tongues and prophecy. And then secondly, natural gifts, such as a keen intellect, a sound judgment, a sound constitution, that means health, basically, prudence, industry, learning, and eloquence, Thirdly, external goods and gifts, as honors and riches and rank, so says St. John Chrysostom. For all these things, God distributes unequally according to his good pleasure. So notice right there, we as Americans might have a little problem with that, that we just learned that God gives these unequally. But we as Americans know this when we look at our athletes. People are not all made the same way. And so we're also going to see that everyone is given different gifts, but... Those who think they have very few gifts are still expected to use those entirely and with all of their heart and soul in mind. Father Labide says, Moreover, there is no man who has not received one, that is, or several of these gifts of God, even if another has more or another less. For Pope St. Gregory the Great says, There is no man who can say with truth, I have not received a single talent. There is nothing of which I must give an account. Nobody can say out of false humility, oh, I've never been given any gifts. I don't have to use them. We learn right there from Pope St. Gregory the Great. Nobody's got that excuse. In fact, even the gifts of suffering are a gift. For it says right here, for to many it is a greater gift of God and more conducive to their salvation that they have poverty rather than wealth, sickness and not health, a humble station instead of an exalted one. That's what's so amazing about being Catholic instead of, say, going to, um, what is that, Lakewood Church in Texas, um, can't remember that guy's name. I honestly don't remember his name. But the health and wealth gospel, that's not only that's not the only gifts we're talking about. We just learned there that, you know, sickness, because you can offer it up in redemptive suffering, that also can be a great gift in Catholicism. And so we also learn here that penance and real sorrow for your sins is another gift from God. Father Lapide says that he instilled this into Saint Mary Magdalene and Peter, an immense contrition contrition for sin that he might through it, dispose them to an immense sanctity. You ever think about that? One of the gifts in your life could be extreme sorrow for extreme sins in your past. Father Lapide says, So it is with those whom God chooses and destines to virginity, the religious life, martyrdom, or mission work in India. He first infuses into them a vehement desire by which they fit and prepare themselves for what they have to do. But again, a lot of these saints, St. Saint Peter and St. Mary Magdalene, they had great missions, but the basis of that at their conversion was really great penance and sorrow and contrition for their sins. In fact, I was looking at the Miserere Psalm, Psalm 50 in most of your Bibles, Psalm 51 in the newer ones, and I was looking at what is the type of heart that God wants. I looked in the Hebrew. It's a broken and a crushed heart. Those are the two words in Hebrew. The, the type of heart God wants from us is a broken and a crushed heart. Father Lapide then quotes St. Thomas Aquinas, who teaches that God has distributed to the angels his gifts of grace and glory according to their natural gifts. Those who are more lofty by nature are also higher in grace and glory. 
And he adds, that is Father Lapidate quoting St. Thomas, that God deals in like fashion with men, for he says, and here's St. Thomas Aquinas, This also happens among men that in proportion to the fervor of their conversion to God, greater grace and glory are given them. See, once again right there, sorrow for sins becomes commensurate to the gifts that God gives you. Often, indeed, God acts in a way the reverse of this and gives greater gifts of grace to persons of weak intellect to the ignorant and despised than he does to the learned, the witty, and the honorable. By the opposite, he means the opposite of the angels. At times, right here, and the example he uses is St. Francis of Assisi, St. Catherine of Siena, and St. Simon the Stylite. What he's saying right here is that almost, almost that penance can make up for the natural gifts of the angels. Your penance, even if you're not the smartest person out there, if you're really sorry for your past sins, you can become a great saint. And we know even in the divine office, it explains that St. Teresa of Avila, or rather St. Catherine of Siena, she learned not by normal studies, but by infused knowledge, by infused knowledge, which is, well, it's very angelic, actually. The citizens of Christ are the Jews. Now we're back to the parable. Father Lapidus says, The citizens of Christ are the Jews and who rejected him and would not acknowledge him as their king and Messiah, who said, We have no king but Caesar, as they cried before Pilate when they asked that Christ might be crucified. And again, after his resurrection, they persecuted the apostles and Christians who preached and spread the kingdom of Christ. So in most of these parables, we're going to see that there is a group of people that had the first chance and they reject him, and that's the Jews. But I really think this late in the game in Catholicism, we're really seeing that with a lot of Catholics too, that, yeah, we do have all the saints and all the magisterium and all the old school holy popes and all the sacraments. And yet there's a lot of people that are Christians who aren't even Catholic who with just like two sacraments are maintaining better orthodoxy than people with the fullness of even orders at this point. And so there's a lot of correlations between Catholics right now and the Jews of the first century. Okay, then we're in verse 16, and this is the distribution of the talents. Father Lapide says, To gain talents is to increase the gifts of God by using and increasing them, especially by means of good works and helping our neighbor to increase and, multi and multiply the grace of God in ourselves and others. So I've said this on past podcasts. We Americans are very afraid of the term merit, but right here we have it. How else would a Protestant explain today's parable except merit? That you're given certain gifts and those increase by God's grace, yes, always by God's grace, but by using them. And that is why Father Lapide does not blush to say the word good works. This parable intimates that everyone ought to cooperate with the grace of God with all his might. For example, he who has, as it were, five degrees of charity ought to exercise charity in a corresponding degree of intensity. Let it be, therefore, that a man by his charity should gain few or none to Christ by preaching. Yet, will he have the same merit and reward of his charity in preaching as if he had converted multitudes? Now listen to that. That's really amazing. That is exactly why St. Therese of Lisieux was named as one of the patrons of the missions. She wanted to go like someone like St. Francis Xavier, but she never left Carmel in northwest France. Well, Father Lapide, who wrote this book right between well, not right between Francis Xavier and, and Therese, closer to Francis Xavier, but Lapide wrote this in time between Xavier and Therese, so he could have known of Therese, but he's saying the exact same thing, that even if you're stuck as a, say, a bed-bound housewife, if you have the charity in your heart of a St. Francis Xavier, your merits can approach his. It's all about charity as the merits, and that's why Father Lapide just said, 
Let it be, therefore, that man by his charity should gain few or none to Christ. That's kind of an antiquated translation. What he means is, even if you don't win many souls to Christ, you're going to have the same reward and merit due to your charity as someone who has converted multitudes like St. Francis Xavier. And this is why St. Therese came to this whole conclusion. Love is the heartbeat of the church. I know there's been times in my life as a traditional Catholic, we've kind of brushed aside Therese because she's the little way and the old school saints are the big way. No, no, no. Well, she figured out the same thing St. Thomas Aquinas says in all of his works, that the full crown, source, and summit of every virtue is charity. That's St. Thomas Aquinas and it's St. Therese. Charity is the source and summit of all the virtues. And then we have the moral sense here. Pope St. Gregory the Great says, quote, this passage of the gospel admonishes us anxiously to be aware lest we who have received somewhat more than others in this world should for that reason be judged more severely by the maker of the world for in proportion as gifts are increased, so is the account to be rendered of the gifts. Basically, he's saying to him who has been given much, much will be expected. Ah, but that also includes, say, that bedbound woman, you are also expected to use those sufferings for the whole church, not just for yourself. You're supposed to offer up those sufferings for the whole church. Father Lapide then says, but in order that we may understand that if he who had only misused his one talent was thus severely punished by his master, far sharper will be the Lord's censure and punishment of those who have misused more and greater talents. Paul says, we exhort you that you receive not the grace of God in vain, 2 Corinthians 6, 11, and again, his grace in me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than all of them, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, and finally, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So right there we can see you can receive graces that you don't use. We're not Calvinists. There's not an automatic you know, uh, declaration of God that you're going to co correspond to all the graces God gives you. You can be lazy. And even though we traditionalists are often afraid of losing our souls due to the sixth and ninth commandment sins, we're seeing today you can lose your soul through laziness. That's the whole point of today's gospel. You can lose your soul through laziness or you can increase your level of charity, which is essentially going to redound to the glory that you have in heaven. And if we don't use that, well, we have this warning from Father Lapide. He writes, Let those who do not use genius, learning, prudence, or other gifts of God for their own or others' benefit on account of sloth or fear of sinning, or for any similar reason, note this, For of them will Christ demand an exact account of these gifts in the day of judgment. Observe also that those who have received few talents, often through sloth, leave them idle and, as it were, bury them, while those who have received more are stimulated by them and either use them rightly or meritoriously or else abuse them unto vanity. And these last are punished not so much for letting their talents lie idle as for misusing them. Thus we commonly see that those who have great powers of intellect, if they do not employ them for good purposes, do so for bad." When I was on my 30-day silent Ignatian retreat, somewhere between, I guess it was uh, 20 years ago, when I first entered seminary, we took a 30-day silent Ignatian retreat. And, you know, I was still six years away from ordination, and I prayed, God, if I'm going to lose my soul as a priest, if I'm going to go to hell as a priest, what's the number one way I need to look out for? And I randomly opened my Bible. This isn't normally how you do Ignatian meditation randomly, but... We were a few weeks into intense meditations, and I just got a little bit tired and did a random one. How would I most likely lose my soul as a priest? Well, I expected, you know, to think, here, you're going to run off with the parish secretary, or 
I mean, no, I knew that wasn't going to happen. Or I also knew it wasn't going to happen. I'd steal from the coffers or something. But you never know, right? You get worried about the really dramatic sins. But the answer came in today's passage, today's passages of the, of the talents. God showed me if I lose my soul as a priest, one of, if not the, most likely ways would be through excessive fear, excessive sloth, and excessive laziness in the gifts that God gave me. And this is where it's not arrogance to use the gifts that God has given you. You know, if you have been given gifts and you know how to teach or evangelize or even challenge family members, that's one of those things that's not very fun, but it's still a gift. Um, you still have to use those gifts to challenge family members at the right time. I know everybody says you can't convert your family, but we still have to be sensitive to the gifts of counsel of the Holy Spirit to to challenge family members when we actually need to do that because all of us have been given these gifts. And the good news is they increase exponentially when we use them well. And when we just say, oh no, I'm too humble. I'm too quiet. I'm not smart enough. I've never been given the gift of evangelization. I can't explain morality to my family. I'm going to leave that to somebody else. Well, not only do our gifts decrease, but we're going to be responsible at the end of our lives to God for not having used those. Pretty scary stuff, but it's just, it's today's parable. So notice up to this point, we've been talking about your particular judgment, how when you die, you're going to answer to God for the gifts that you've been given. And you're also going to be rewarded according to the gifts that you use well. Well, verses 19 and 20 and 21, we also have reference to the general judgment. So we're actually going to see how everybody in all of time, in every continent, in every country, uh, at every time of church history, even before then, up to the end of the world, used all of their gifts, every single person. And so Father Lapide here quotes Pope St. Gregory the Great, and he says, In that great examination, again, this is the general judgment, when we will see how everyone used their gifts for good or for ill. In that great examination, the whole multitude of the elect and the reprobate will be led forth and it will be shown what each has done. Then Peter will take his stand with Judea converted at his side. There Paul with, I might almost say, a converted world. There will be Andrew with Achaia and St. John with Asia, St. Thomas with India, which they will bring into the presence of the judge. There will appear all the rams of the Lord's flock with the souls which were given them for their hire. When therefore so many shepherds with their flocks shall come before the eyes of the eternal pastor, what shall we miserable ones be able to say if we return before the Lord empty? We who have the name of pastors but have no sheep, which we have fed to present. So he's especially speaking of popes and bishops right there, what they're going to answer for. Now notice at the end of time, both the particular judgment, your judgment, and at the end of time, the general judgment, it is not St. Peter who's going to judge you. It is Jesus Christ himself because he's God. He only mentioned Peter there because we're going to see all the lands Peter converted. We're going to see all the lands John converted. We're going to see all the lands that St. Thomas converted. We're going to see all the lands that St. Francis Xavier converted. Peter's not going to be your judge. That's a weird, weird Catholic superstitious myth that you just have to get out of your mind. But at the general judgment, we will see Christ and all of the apostles will be echoing his judgment. And in fact, as we learned in previous either VLX or RCTs, all of the elect will be echoing the judgment uh, with Christ. In fact, it will somewhat belong to each person who is saved. It's not only going to be echoing, it's always it's going to be speaking what the Holy Spirit speaks at those judgments, but it's never going to be replacing Christ like this, I don't know, weird Hallmark cards that it's going to be Peter at the end of time. 
Okay, verse 21. His Lord says unto him, well done. And then Father Labide says, the parable is taken from the idea of a king who is accustomed to reward his faithful servants by setting them over many cities. It signifies also that the saints who use diligently the grace that God gives them will be sharers in the glory and joy of his kingdom, but in greater or less degree according to the labors and merit of each. So remember, heaven isn't just enjoying God. It's also ruling with him. That's what's so funny about these Satanists. I guess nothing's funny about Satanists, but what's interesting about, you know, the Satanists say things like, better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. Little do they know they've been deceived by Satan, even in their witty little phrase there, because everyone in hell is going to be a total slave, and everyone in heaven is going to be ruling with Jesus Christ. You're going to be a ruler in heaven with Christ. So what a horrible deceit Satanists are under to say, better to rule in hell than serve in heaven. No, heaven is going to be serving and ruling, but the serving that we do on earth through worship is going to be this you know, ecstatic, supersonic worship of God, and we're going to be ruling with him. And so here on earth, yeah, we make ourselves um, slaves of God. We were first made sons of God through baptism, but we should also have an understanding that we are servants of God, and then he raises us up. We don't do it on ourselves. He raises us up because we have taken the lowest spot. And speaking of those in hell, Father Lapide says, it is to be observed that the reprobate, reprobate is the people who don't make it, those in hell, in the day of judgment, when they behold the saints, thus rewarded by Christ and themselves sentenced to Gehenna, will out of despair and madness inveigh against Christ the judge and will shamelessly reproach him for for his too great severity and will impiously and blasphemy throw the blame of their damnation upon him. Now, that's really interesting. We see this in narcissists. Narcissists always blame the innocent person for their own sins. And some of you might say, well, wait a minute. Why will God allow demons and humans to continue to blaspheme him in hell forever? And that's why they have to be locked away in hell, because they're going to still be blaspheming Christ. And that's really one reason you better be extremely careful to only ever use the holy name of Jesus in a good way. Because if you're using the name of Jesus in a bad way, you're already setting yourself up to be one of those blasphemers in hell. I really believe that second commandment is one of the most underrated ones that we talk about today. You know, if you are using the holy and sweet name of Jesus in an evil way, you are preparing your soul for hell. I'm, so, I'm sorry to say it. I'm not sorry to say it. That is, that is how serious we have to take the name of Jesus. But notice Father Lapide is saying that the people that get sent to hell will continue to curse Christ, to blaspheme Christ from there. And whose fault will they say it is? They're going to say it's Jesus' fault, even though this was the man who died for them, the God-man who died for them. And they're still going to be saying, he was unjust to me. And see, this is where this self-pity has to be uh, countered even on earth. Self-pity has to be countered on earth even now with thanksgiving, and with generosity in using your gifts. Oh, and you know, Father Ripperger talks about how demons think they are the victims. And as I said earlier, this is the same thing we see in narcissists, that they are the perpetrators of others who not only deny, but actually think they're the victims of people they harm. And apparently this backward psychology continues in hell, according to both Father Lapide and Father Ripperger. Okay, well, to wrap this up, hopefully I didn't scare you into saying, If you don't use your gifts, you're going to go to hell because fear isn't really going to get you to be generous. So I will close with this amazing quote from Father Lapide, and he takes this from many great theologians of his day. He says, God is never wanting to him who does his best. Let me say that again. 
God is never wanting to him who does his best. So see, it's not about calculating exactly how much you have, nickel and diming God to death, figuring out how much the next guy has. It's about just doing your best. That's the entire message of today's gospel. With whatever gifts you have, get on your knees, pray, and then take risk, risks with those. In other words, risks as in not foolish risks, but risks where you are being generous. You are expected to use these. But the one who took the talent and dug in the ground and hid his master's money because he thought God was so severe, he lost in the end. So again, Father Lapide has this really great line, God is never wanting to him who does his best. That's the whole message today. Do your best with what you got, and God is going to multiply those gifts. Please pray that I can practice what I preach. At benedictio deum nepotentis. Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Santi, descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.